Well, good morning. How's everybody? Glad to be in church this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, as uh, many of you know, and if you don't know, uh, Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicki are on vacation this week, enjoying some uh, much-needed rest and rejuvenation. And uh, Pastor Kurt and Megan were in the first service, and they've. Uh, he asked me if I thought I had it under control, and I said, "Man, what could possibly go wrong?" So he went ahead and headed up to Red River, and so wish me luck. It's great to see y'all this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Jeremy Weathington. Um, my wife Leah is here on the front row. We have four kids, the three boys right here, and Eva's right here uh, in the center. And um, people meet my family, and they're like, man, you must like kids. And I tell them, no, I just really love my wife. So, um, <clears throat> so that's who I am, and uh, I grew up in this church. Uh, I've known Rusty since I was 12 years old. Um, so he's seen in my life the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, he's seen probably a lot more ugly than I want to remember. But uh, So I have a strong connection to this church. Um, my Nana was in the uh, service earlier, Jimmy Schulte. And uh, I bring her up and I tell you about her because I'm thankful. I'm thankful for heritage. I'm thankful for uh, people that went before me that were willing to say yes to Jesus. And uh, she did that, and because she did that and set the, set the uh, tone for our family, my parents did the same, and then here I am. So I am a byproduct of a lot of people saying yes to Christ, and I'm grateful. Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about uh, something that I think God really, really finds important in each of our lives, and that is this idea of, of faith, of growing big faith in our lives. And really what faith results in is trust, and that we trust Him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8, is kind of what I, you know, the context of Scripture that I'm going to use for what we're going to talk about this morning. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, I want to read it out of the message translation because I think it says it's so much uh, easier for us to understand, easier for me to understand. Um, trust God from the very bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Has anybody ever tried to do that? Figure it out on your own? How did it go? Not, not good, did it? Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health, and your very bones will vibrate with life. So I want you to, this morning, as we get into the, the basis of the message, I want you to Write down a question. If you have a pad or if you have a paper, or I want you to remember this question. If you don't take anything away from what we're talking about today, I want you to write this one question down and think about it. What would your life look like if you decided from this point forward that you were going to put 100% of your confidence and your trust in Him? What would change? How would your decision-making change? How would the way you process events in your life, how would it change? If you had 100% confidence, 
Not in you, not in my ability, not in my own ability, but in him. How would I, how would I carry myself differently? How would I act if 100% of my confidence was in him? If 100% of my confidence was in the fact that there is a God, that he's a personal God, he knows my name, he has a plan for my life, and that he's a God that's promised to walk beside me, never leave me, never forsake me, to walk with me through, over, and above everything or anything that can come my way. How would your life be different? How would my life be different? The kind of faith that when something happens to you, your response is, it's okay, because God's in control. And I'm not talking about, I told the first service uh, this morning, I'm not talking about speaking Christianese of, oh, God's got it all under control. I'm talking about really believing that when you say it, people around you take notice that he really, he said that, but he really means it. That you know God's in control, that you trust him with your marriage, your finances, your job, you have total peace, no anxiety, no worry. Would anybody want to sign up for that? I sure would. Living with anxiety and stress and worry, it's tiresome. Jesus said one of my favorite scriptures. He said, hey, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to live life like that. And the reality is, the reality that we should live with as Christians is that we can live with that reality. You can live with that reality. If you'll put 100% of your faith and trust and confidence in him. So how do we do that? How do we develop? How, how, how does big faith, how does tr- this trust, this unwavering confidence, how does it develop in God? And so I'm going to give you five things, but I want to, want to tell you that these five things, I'm not giving you a to-do list. So, you know, I think churches, you know, in, in, in the church world, man, we're, we're notorious for giving you five more things you need to do. You know, I mean, you don't need something else. How many, how many everybody here raise the hands of uh, who needs something else to do? I think we're all busy. We all got places to go. We all have things to do. So you don't need five more things to do. But I want to tell you these five things, and I want you to remember these five things so that you're aware of God at work in your life, okay? And so the first one is practical biblical teaching. And I told you I have a rich history with this church and Pastor Rusty, and I can remember lots of things that he said over the years and things that have impacted my life in ways that you can't even imagine. And so I grew up in a very good setting with practical biblical teaching. So I recognize it. I know what it looks like. So what is it? What is good practical teaching? It's when you hear a biblical-based lesson and you walk away not just knowing more, but you know what to do with what you just heard. So what I want to do this morning, what my hope is and what my what my desire is, is that you take these five things and you can walk out and you can recognize them and become aware of them, of how God's moving and working and building faith in your life. The problem with many churches today is that they're content with congregations just gaining more information. We don't need more information. We don't need more information. I don't need to give you five more steps, and I don't need to give you ten steps to success, and I don't need to... You don't need that. What you need is just some real simple things that God will use in your life to grow big faith so that your confidence will be in him. Matthew 7:24 says, "Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock." So if I want to be wise, I've got to hear the word, but then I've got to do it. 
James 1, 22 through 25 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. It's like if you gain information, it doesn't do you, it doesn't do you a bit of good. You've got to do it. And then in, the, in uh, verse 25 there, it says, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if you want to be blessed, if you want God, if you want things to go well with you, then become a doer of the word. Um, Pastor Rusty, one of the stories, and this, this is real simple, but, it, but it's been at, impactful, and it's stuck with me for years. He said, Jeremy, you cannot become a Christian by sitting in church any more than you can sit in your garage and expect to become a Ford, right? I mean, we would think that was pretty ludicrous. I mean, you think I would have lost my mind if I sat in the garage and just wheeled myself to become a Ford, right? You wouldn't do that. The same holds true. We can't come to church and expect ourselves to become a Christian if we don't walk out those doors and be a doer of what we just heard. So you can hear it all, but if you don't do anything, it won't make make any difference. And if you ever question that, you can look in the New Testament. There was a whole group of guys, a whole group of men that Jesus was not very nice to. How many think Jesus is just a nice guy all the time? He's pretty... He's pretty zealous about the kingdom of God. And this group of men, they were all puffed up with what? Knowledge. They knew it. They knew it better than I do. They knew it better than anybody in here. They knew it inside and outside, frontwards, backwards. They could quote it. But guess what? They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. It wasn't in their heart. So we have to be a doer of the word and apply practical biblical teaching our lives. So I'm going to give you an example. The example is uh, exercise. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't believe he went there. (laughs) Exercise. This is a multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry in the United States today. There's apps for your phone that you can download workouts. They're turning every building in Amarillo and Lubbock into some kind of workout gym or something. You can read about it. You can study it. You could even learn all the muscle groups. And you could buy equipment, and you could buy five or six books, and you could have all the knowledge, but guess what? It's not going to do you a bit of good, is it? Until what? You do it. And the same holds true. We come to church week in and week out, and we hear the, we hear the word. We have a Bible. I, I would venture to say most of us have a, a physical Bible, Most of us have an app on our phone. What do we do with it? Until we apply it, until we do it, it's not going to make any difference. Same with your walk with God. You can know all the scripture. You can be full of knowledge. But nothing will change in your life until you apply it, until you become a doer of it. The second thing that God uses to build big faith in our lives are providential relationships. God uses human relationships to impact us and change our lives. And like most principles in the Bible, this works both ways. Just as there have been relationships that impacted and changed your life and increased your faith in God, there's also those that have undermined your faith and trust in God. And I'm going to say something about relationships that I think is impactful. It's been impactful in my life. There's no such thing as a neutral relationship. I'm going to say that one more time. There is no such thing as a neutral relationship in your life. Well, what does that mean? 
That means that either the relationships that you're involved with, they're either pushing you closer to God, or guess what they're doing? They're dragging you further away from God. And so there's no such thing as a neutral relationship, and God will use people to impact your life. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. In the message it says, Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Anybody ever had any experience hanging out with fools? Did your life fall to pieces? Mine did. Got the t-shirt to prove it. Think about your greatest regret in life. And I'm not trying to dig up old past, but just think about what your greatest regret was in life. And then think about who was there with you during your greatest regret in life. Most likely, there was a relationship of someone pushing you towards doing something that you didn't want to do. Your greatest regret happened in a relationship with someone. Unfortunately, in this moment, you had made the decision to be a companion with a fool. However, when you choose to walk with wise people, guess what happens? And I gave this example earlier, and I I think about it a lot, but I think about Pastor Rusty. You know, I love getting together with coffee because you know why I like having coffee with Rusty? Because when I sit across the table, he deliberately brings out God's best in me. And I deliberately bring out God's best in him. And it's a reciprocating relationship. And we work to push each other towards God's best. And that is, a, that is an example of a providential relationship. Is that it's a relationship that pushes you Closer to God. We must be intentional about our relationships. God will use relationships that he's intended for you to have to build big faith in your life. So we must put ourselves in a position where we can be be friends with people that push us closer to God. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. And your friends determine the direction and quality and the depth of your faith in God. It makes a difference. The third thing that we're going to talk about this morning is private disciplines. And this word disciplines, look at your neighbor and said, oh my gosh, he's going to go there again. We're not going to talk about exercise again. But we are going to talk about this word discipline. Anybody like the word discipline? Anybody liked when you grew up, when you got disciplined? I still don't like to be disciplined. The things, disciplines are the things you know you're supposed to do, however you don't really want to do them, right? It's like, man, I know I need to do it, but I don't. What did Paul say? He said, the things I know I need to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Anybody relate to that? I mean, I, that's me on a daily basis. Like, I don't want to do that, but I did it. I need to do this, but I don't do it. So private disciplines, you know, disciplines such as you need to wake up earlier, go to bed earlier, get more rest, you know, all these things that people are telling us to do. But there's some disciplines in the Christian life, and it's not a burden, and it's not a long list, but there's just a few things that we need to consistently do to grow in our faith in God. We need to pray. We need to journal. 
We need to give. give. Giving just helps us to keep the right perspective that, hey, it's not all about me. We need to make it a point to make sure that we're aware and that we're applying these private disciplines. Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, Jesus had just got finished uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to verse 1 in chapter 6. And not that there was a break there, but you get the point. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What's Jesus saying? I'll boil it down to our century. Hey, don't practice your righteousness on Facebook and Instagram. You know, um, Leah and I talk about it all the time. I love the pictures that get posted where it's like this nice, you know, kind of rough wood table. There's a Bible open a cup of coffee sitting over here with steam coming out of it. <laughs> Click picture and it gets posted on Instagram. It says, spent three and a half hours with God this morning. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Hashtag I'm a better Christian than you. <clears throat> Anybody ever been guilty of doing that? And Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward. Your likes are your reward if you, do it, if you go that direction. I, I want God's reward, don't you? So what I love about this verse is that, and if we're not careful, we'll miss it. Jesus establishes the option to participate in private disciplines with him. And he says, hey, you have a choice, but if you do it, there are rewards. And I want those rewards. I want to pursue those disciplines so that I can experience in my life those rewards that come as a result of me. And it's not about the doing. It's about the relationship with Him. It's about the intimacy with Him. It's about, God, I want to be closer to You. And eventually over time, as you do a discipline over and over, the more you practice it, the more you enjoy it, and it becomes a habit. Discipline, and here's this is just a great fact, discipline always results in progress. There's progress even when you have a bad attitude. Going back to the exercise, look at your neighbor and roll your eyes and just shake your head. And like, I can't believe he's going to bring that up again. But it's just like getting on the treadmill. It's like you can have a bad attitude and you can get on that treadmill and you can knock those miles out. And guess what? You're still going to get the benefit, right? You can get up and you can have a crummy day and you can say, God, I'm having a bad start to my day, but I'm still going to meet with you, and I'm still going to apply this discipline. And guess what he does? He shows up. So discipline is doing what you don't want to do now so you can do what you want to later. It pays off. There's rewards. And I think we all want to benefit from those rewards. So be aware of personal disciplines in your life. Reading the Word, listening to a message, uh, memorizing scripture, journaling. Just, just, it's just a few things that, that you can do that will grow your faith big. The fourth thing that God uses to grow your faith big is personal ministry. I think what happens is we get, we get in rows and we get comfortable. We kind of like the uh, temperature set a certain way. We kind of 
like to come to church and get our cup of coffee in the Java Cafe, and man, we, we, we enjoy it, and I think we should. I think it should, church should be fun. Church should be enjoyable. But then what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and he kind of wants to get us out of our comfort zone to go serve in maybe some capacity that we don't really want to, or we don't feel like we're qualified to. And that's what this personal ministry is, is that God wants you to learn and grow, and he wants to change you, but then he wants to use you. He wants to use you in Power Kids, or he wants to use you in Ground Zero, or he wants to use you in the mission field, or he may just want to use you in a relationship that you're called to, that there's a friend that just needs you to show show up and to have big faith and to say, hey, it's going to all be okay. Why? Because God's in control and because he'll come through on your behalf. So this idea of personal ministry, of putting ourselves in a situation where God can show himself strong. In Matthew 14, 13 through 33, and I'm not going to read the whole, the whole uh, passage, but the disciples are in a boat, they're caught in a storm, and they're freaking out. And if you would have been there, you would have been freaking out too. I like the way we read the Bible and say, well, if I would have been there, it would have gone differently. No, you would have been freaking out. You would have been screaming your head off thinking you're going to die. Because it was a big storm, it was a bad storm, and they thought they were going to die. And all of a sudden, the disciples look up, and guess who's walking on water? Here comes Jesus, and he's coming to the boat. And there's a lot of dialogue that goes on, but in verse 28, Peter answers Jesus, and he says this. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I don't think Peter expected that answer. I don't think he was expecting Jesus to say, come on. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I've always read that scripture thinking that Jesus was kind of chastising Peter. Has anybody thought that same thing? Where it's like, man, Peter, why didn't you believe? I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he reached out and he said, sweetheart, you almost had it. You had it until you got your eyes off of me. You had it as long as you were looking at me and as long as your confidence and trust was in me, you had it. But the moment you got your eyes off of me, you began to sink. And I think the same holds true in our lives, is that God's saying, hey, you can trust me. You can trust me. You, you got this. You can do this. You see, the amazing thing about Peter in this story is that Peter only knew how to do two of three things. Peter only knew how to climb out of the boat. He knew how to do that. He knew how to walk. But what did he not know how to do? He didn't know how to walk on water. So what did he do? He did the two things that he knew how to do. And then where did he have to put his trust to do the third thing? In Christ. And then Peter goes on and he says, hey, you are the Christ. I know you are. And we see Peter doing that. Well, what was God doing? God was building his faith. He's like, hey, you've got this. You've got this. You can trust me. Earlier when we were singing that song, I love that song. Um, where the, the verse says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And then his, you know, at the pinnacle of that song, his wife just belts out, 
I'm a child of God over and over. And then if you hear, she says, full of faith. That's what God wants for you, and that's what God wants for me, is that nothing can come my way that shakes me because I believe that he's always with me, that he'll never leave me. So I think we need to begin to pray the Peter prayer in this, in this concept of personal ministry of God, just call me out of the boat. Invite me out. Show me what I can do to make a difference in somebody else's life. And what you'll find in those moments of personal ministry, God will show up. He'll show himself strong on your behalf, and you'll have an influence on somebody else. And guess what happens? Your faith grows. The fifth thing that God uses in our lives, and this one's not easy. The fifth thing is pivotal circumstances. Has anybody ever had a pivotal circumstance in their life? Anybody ever had something that comes up and it changes? You think you're going this direction, and then something totally, next thing you know, you're going a whole different direction. It's like, I didn't expect that. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. I think we've all had that, and if we haven't, we will. So these pivotal circumstances, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. And I'm going to read it out of the message because I think it's, uh, it's impactful. The verse says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed not deficient in any way. Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Is that the way you respond? Is that the way I respond? It's not. So I was trying to think of an example um, what could make this impactful. I think a lot of you know my Uncle Don that's here, Don Schulte, and he does... uh, the offering stuff and ushering stuff. I don't know what I'm trying to the correct terminology. I'm grasping for it, but you know him. A lot of you know him. And uh, he broke his leg. If you don't know, he was working on a center pivot, slipped, broke his leg. And so now he's had to have a surgery and he's laid up with a broken leg. Well, I'm just guessing and I'm drawing an assumption that when he broke his leg, he didn't consider it a sheer gift that that trial came his way. Does anybody think that's, that's his response? I think he had some words, but I don't think they were words of, God, thank you, hallelujah. I don't think that, I mean, just me knowing him, I don't think that's the way he responded. But you know, in that moment, when something like that happens, and here's what we've got to remember. God didn't do it. God didn't do it to him, right? But it happened. Why did it happen? I was talking to Kurt between services. And we talked about how the world is broken. You know, if you ever wondered why bad things happen, because the world is broken. The world is infected with, with a culture, and it's called the world culture, and it's not as God designed it. And Jesus died, and he's come back to save us, and then he's coming back in the second coming to take back the world. And, you know, we think, man, we have this kind of get-me-out-of-here mentality. I got news for you. We're not going anywhere. This earth is going to be restored to the way he designed it and created it because he said in Genesis that it was a good thing. 
He's going to restore it. He's going to separate the culture of the world, and it's going to be gone forever. And then we're going to be able to enjoy all the things that we love about this life and about the world. And so in this moment, consider it pure joy. Consider it a sheer gift when this trial comes. And yeah, he's laid up with a broke leg, but you know, he's got a great opportunity to spend some extra time with God, spend some extra time in prayer. And I think that if he'll just take some time and step back, and I've had those same things in my life. I've got a situation right now, and I'll tell you right now, my response is not considered a sheer gift. It's like, I want to. I want to respond that way, and I'm working to respond that way. And I want to have this unshakable confidence and trust in God, but I'm having to work at it. I'm having to recognize these things, and as I recognize these things, God builds my faith. And as he comes through, he builds my faith. And as he comes through again, he builds my faith. And next thing you know, when some, there isn't anything that can come my way that I'm not like, hey, you know what, God? You got this. And either way, however it ends up, I win. I mean, if it ends up that I die and I pass, then guess what? We won. That's the good news that Jesus came to give each one of us. We win. Pain and suffering are not the exception to the rule. They are part of the story. So, you know, Leah tells me all the time, hey, just relax. Anybody that knows me well, I'm wound tighter than a drum. And I got a son that's wound just the same way. And it's just relax. Just take a breath and just relax. You know, I I talk about it all the time. I just want to get to a place where I'm relaxed and I enjoy life and I'm happy. And Jesus says, hey, you can do that. Come to me. Just come to me. Trust me. Your faith is extraordinarily important to your father. He cares about it. He wants to grow it. He wants to build it. He wants to change you. And I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you that Well, I don't know a better way to tell you, but every day is not going to be a Friday. Anybody that looked at the Christian bookstore have ever seen that book that every day is a Friday? That's not true. (laughs) I wish I could tell you that it was all going to be a Friday and that it was all going to be good and that nothing was ever going to go wrong. But that is not the way it works. And it's not, not the way we should desire for it to work. We should really have the attitude of God, send anything my way, because my trust is in you. You know, in that song earlier too, you split the sea and I walked right through it. I mean, do you think he put that story in there just so we could come up with some cool children's illustrations? No. Did you think he put the story of David and Goliath in the Bible just so we could sell more slingshots? Or just so we could have a neat story about a little boy that killed a giant? You know why he put those stories in the Bible? So we today could read those stories and could realize that, hey, even a 12-year-old boy, when he puts his unwavering trust and confidence in God, guess what God does? He comes through. Even when the odds were stacked against him and there was no way he was going to win, God came through. Children of Israel, Moses is leading them out of, the, out of captivity. They get to the Red Sea, and it's like, man, what are we going to do? Well, God, you brought us here. Now what? Parts the sea. They walk across on dry land. There they go. 
Trust him. Have confidence in him. He's trustworthy. He will come through. I have a saying that I love, and I say it over and over and over, and people in our little church probably get tired of it. But in a moment of your life when you think you are forsaken, you are mistaken. In, in that moment in life when you think you're forsaken, you're, you're 100% mistaken because he is right there. He said he would never leave you. He would never forsake you. He would always be there for you. And he meant it. So I hope you see that as we begin to get this down in our spirits and as we begin to think like this and meditate on these things and trust him, that he will come through. And then I think it goes back to that verse where Jesus said, Hey, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You can trust me. So this morning and today I want to challenge you to draw a line in the sand and to determine that from this point forward, no matter what comes my way, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to put my confidence in you. And that I know is as I do, I'm going to have to walk through some hard things and some things aren't going to go my way. And I'm going to wonder why this is happening and why that's happening. But you're going to be there for me. So I'm going to close with this. I want to read one more time to you, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I just want you to listen. And then we're going to pray. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God and run from evil. Your body will glow with health and your very bones will vibrate with life. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for our short amount of time together. And God, I'm so honored to have the opportunity to come and be a part of the services today at at TCF. And God, I thank you for this congregation of people. I thank you for every family and every relationship represented here. And I thank you for the vision and the things that are going on at TCF. And I just pray your blessings upon this church and upon Pastor Rusty and Vicki and Pastor Kurt and Megan. And God, I pray that you would bless them with rest and rejuvenation in this time that they're away. And God, I pray for the congregation this morning, God. God, that we would leave here knowing and just being reassured that our trust and our confidence can really be 100% in you. So God, I pray today that we would leave with just these five things. Help us to be aware of how you're working and how you're using these things in our life to grow our faith and our confidence and our trust in you. God, we love you, and we're so grateful again for this opportunity, and I just pray for safety as people go home. I pray for a restful afternoon and a good week ahead, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.